0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue studying uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Um, We have been speaking about Exodus chapter 20, which is one of the most famous chapters in the Old Testament and in the whole Bible because this is where God delivers the Ten Commandments um, to Moses on the mountain. Um, we've, We've been talking about them. I think this is the third week, actually, that we're still discussing the Ten Commandments. Um, this is the last commandment, which is the 10th commandment, um, that we're going to start with today. Uh, and then we'll continue from there when God is speaking about additional laws that are kind of like the practical application of the commandments that God is giving to Moses and to the people. Um, so this 10th this commandment, it says what? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And if you remember, there was like, this is a trivia question, when we first introduced the Ten Commandments, we said we know there's Ten Commandments, but different churches count the Ten Commandments differently. And specifically the Catholic Church counts the Ten Commandments differently than we count them. They break them up differently, okay? Do you remember one of the differences was here? Do you remember what the difference was between us and the Catholic Church regarding this? So, 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 it, it, hmm? the wife. So, so, in the in the, the 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 Catholic Church, they break this up into two different commandments. The "Do not covet your neighbor's wife" is a commandment by itself, and then "Do not covet all the other stuff of your neighbor" is is a, is a, is a, is, a, is another distinct commandment. But in, in in our church, we we group them all together as one. So this is considered for us the tenth commandment. Um, we had said that some of the commandments have some unique attributes, okay? What were the first four commandments? They were what? Related to what? God. Relationship with God. And then the, l- the last six commandments? Your with your neighbor, okay? There was also something unique about the fifth commandment. What was the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And what was unique about it? There was a promise. You're the one who answered it last time too, right? So there was a promise, right? That God says what that your days will be long upon the earth. That is the promise of honoring your father and mother. So there is something unique here as well about this tenth commandment that we don't see in any other commandment. This one has to do with your own thoughts. Yes, this is this commandment is about something internal. Right? So far all the other commandments have been about do not lie, do not steal. You know, do not murder. Okay. Whereas this commandment it's do not covet. So, what is coveting? Sorry. Uh, it, it you could consider it a kind of lust, but it is a, is a lust for what? Someone else's possessions. Do not do not desire anything that is someone else's. Okay. And maybe this is extremely relevant, um, you know, maybe, maybe most of us, um, you know, struggle with this one, maybe more than a lot of the other commandments, is the coveting. Because we live in a, a very materialistic society, one that is always kind of um, showing uh, off different things, like, like we see we see our neighbor's car, and we see our neighbor's family, and we see—and um, and our neighbor is who? Our neighbor is not just our next-door neighbor. Our neighbor is the entire world. You see it on the internet, right? You see it on social media. So you can see absolutely everything that belongs to everyone at all times. And when you see it um, on social media, for instance, it's always presented in the best possible way. It's presented as the in the most attractive way, in the way that that, that makes it seem like um, everyone is better than you, right? Everyone's houses is bigger than your house, everyone's car is better than your car, everyone's family is better than your family. Um and, you know, even people, they go out to eat and they take a picture of the food that they're going to eat and they, they put it on social media so we can all see the wonderful food that they're about to eat, which is better than the food I'm eating, right? So in, in so many ways, like, our society has been engineered to, and is des- like, designed to make us to covet because it's consumerism, right? So so the more we covet, the more we want things, the more we'll pay and to obtain, right? Um, and so... Here, this coveting and, and living with a lack of contentment, living always unhappy with what I have and always wanting more, will make us to never be satisfied. That even when we gain the things that we are coveting, because we have developed like a, like the disease of coveting, that, that we will always covet. That there, there will be no satisfaction to the coveting because we will never be content because we are we are made we're designed like like er, the whole system is designed in that way for us to always want more 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 and even apart from like social media just my own like i see the the things people have and i see the things people wear and i thi- see the experiences the vacations that people go right and maybe in my s- in my heart inside i'm kind of makes me upset makes me wish i could be like that right and 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 so so This idea of lack of contentment can be a source of destruction for anyone's life. Because no matter what blessings I have, no matter what God happens to give me, in the end, I'm still unhappy and I still want more. St. Augustine, he says, The law said you shall not covet. In order that when we find ourselves lying in this diseased state, we might seek the medicine of grace. And by that commandment, know in what direction our endeavors should aim. It, coveting is a reflection of wrong priorities, wrong goals. Because if, I, if my goal is set upon the things that matter the most, then I, my heart will not be so distracted by frivolous things that other people have. You know, the the best book to read when we're suffering with this coveting, this this temptation of coveting, is Ecclesiastes. Because King Solomon, being the wealthiest man who had ever lived, was able to obtain for himself everything, everything under the sun. He, He got it for himself, and he wrote this book for us that essentially says that his whole experience was vain. There was nothing good in what he found. All of the pleasures of the life, all the possessions of his life, everything that he had after he experimented and he tried it and he concluded in the end, you know, I've reached to the top of the mountain and there's nothing here. It's it's empty. It's not anything like what I imagined it to be. Okay? So, So we have to train ourselves in contentment. We have to train ourselves in contentment. And, and, and we will never experience or, or, or feel like the spirit of thanksgiving toward God if I am suffering with this sin of coveting. Because instead of looking and being thankful at what I have, I will always be focusing on what I do not have, what other people have. And then this also goes a step further, you know, uh, like the difference between jealousy and envy, right? Jealousy is, you know, maybe I, I'm jealous because someone else is enjoying something, and, and I wanna have that experience. Envy is more like I want, I'm angry at that person and I wanna take it away from them. Like I wanna have that experience instead of them, right? And, and again, that goes along with this, you know? Um, maybe I become angry at the people who are wealthy, angry at people who have the things that I wish that I had and just my eye has been trained to, 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 to see value in things that are not valuable, right? And so a big part of um, obeying God in fulfilling God's commandment, has to do with setting our eyes toward heaven, seeing that heaven is the only thing of value on the earth, the only thing we really want, the only thing that's really valuable, is 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 heaven. Just like you know, we remember the parable of the man who um, he, he 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 saw that there was this great treasure um, in this on this land, and so he sold all that he had so that he could buy the land that had the treasure in it, right? because he valued that this treasure that he was going to get by purchasing this land is actually he will be more wealthy than the money that he spent to purchase the land right that's the whole purpose of that's what the, what the parable means is this treasure was enough for me to sell all that i have to obtain so if if our if our eyes are toward heaven if my priority is heaven then i will sell all else and i don't mean the literal selling of our of our of our property i mean we will not care we will look at everything else as 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 saint paul said he will, he, he will counts it as rubbish everything else is rubbish nothing else has any value you know we, we look at something that's you know glittery uh, glittery and glamorous and and luxurious and all this we look at it with an eye and then something moves in us and says, oh that's nice right but if we if we fast forward right and we say okay well what is, why is this nice like what what about this is really so desirable god said in the end everything's going to be destroyed right I'm going to be kind of using it for a temporary amount of time. And there's nothing wrong with that. The question is is what am I sacrificing for that? What am I exchanging for that? Right? A person who is living living with this covetous spirit is is always discontent. Is always upset. Is always desiring more and is distracted by this desire so that they are pursuing more. They are always pursuing. You know, it's easy to um to to set our mind on you know i want to accumulate a certain amount of wealth um and i want to pursue that wealth i want to pursue that wealth i want uh, to the to the you know to 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 the at the same time like like um uh what's the word i'm saying the the l- like without w- instead of doing anything else right right to the exclusion of everything else that i i want to do one thing and that thing is to gain for myself my goals, which um, come from the spirit of of coveting what is another's and what is out there in the world. Okay, so that was the 10th commandment, okay? Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Now remember, where was Moses when when this was being delivered to him? He was on the top of Mount Sinai. He was receiving the Ten Commandments from God and and God had made it very clear to Moses and he told them many, many times, do not touch this mountain. Stay down. Everyone else stays at the bottom of the mountain. Do not touch the mountain. Do not climb the mountain. Do not come up near the mountain. And they are people are like watching from a distance, like what's happening on the mountain as God is delivering the Ten Commandments to Moses, and they see this thunder, thunder, lightning, uh, trumpets, smoke, all of this stuff, and they're, like, standing away, um, afraid from what they are seeing and hearing. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Like, uh, we had mentioned this, I think, um, previously, this verse. Like, they were so afraid of what they saw... They saw God only as a God that is, like, striking fear in them, right? They, they didn't see God yet um, as a God of love or a God of compassion or a God of forgiveness or, or, or to even understand what is it that God is offering, what is it that God is giving them. Why is, why is this happening? Why is God wanting to make a big deal out of this law? Now, keep in mind, right, this is the law that all the Jewish people and subsequently all the Christian people are to live by right it had to be clear that this was not a man-made law this is not a man-made law this is not a law that a group of rabbis or somebody came up with they sat together in a council and they said what do you think would be good you know moral law for people to live by good spiritual law for people to live by and then it was decided and then that law was then passed down from generation and all the people followed it okay because it would be very easy for people to point at it and say, "Well, what moral authority does this person or this group of people have in order to come up with a law, right?" From their own minds, this law is the law that was that was that came down from heaven, came down from God Himself. And as we had mentioned before, um, God is like the manufacturer of human beings, if you want to call it, and He made us a certain way, and He knows how we function, and He knows what will make us to function and what will make us to fail. And to not function he gave us what we need to be successful He, he gave us what we need to um to operate correctly okay and he also told us what we cannot do and if we do those things that he told us not to do we cannot operate correctly like putting diesel gas in your in your gasoline car will not operate correctly it will break down it is not an artificial commandment it is not artificial law it is you are made a certain way if you operate a certain way, you will be successful, you will be joyful, your, your life will, will be content. But if you operate a different way, you're going to break down, okay? God gave this instruction manual from heaven to, to Moses saying, hey, all you human beings, follow this commandment, follow these instructions. This is how you will be successful in your life, and you will ease your way in your life. But the people didn't understand that. They didn't understand what God was giving. Even us sometimes, maybe even people from the church, when we look at the commandment of God, maybe people feel like the commandment of God is there to restrict them. It's there to keep them from enjoying their life. It's there to tell them that you're a sinner. It's there to tell them this is right and this is wrong, and if you don't do what's right, then God is going to smite you or he's going to punish you. Okay, That is not the purpose of the law. The, the purpose of the law was to make us to live right in a way that is that is right, in a way that's successful. The other purpose of the law that also we had mentioned before was is to make us realize that we are unable to live according to the law. We are unable to live according to the law. Kind of like, uh, if you want to go back to the car analogy, like I am not a mechanic, and if you gave me some instruction manual that's intended for mechanics, and I try to read it, and I try to do what it says to my car, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would inevitably fail, could not do what it says. It's too hard for me to do, right? I couldn't do it. So I have to rely on someone else, the mechanic, to come and to do it because I cannot do it, right? The law, w- the, one of the, the major like, purposes of the law was to make the people realize that as weak, sinful human beings, they were not able to live up to the commandment and standard of God, and that is why they were in need of a savior. That's why they were in need of salvation. And so they would wait and wait and wait for God to reveal to them the Savior, and then they would identify him and know him and worship him, who is Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that didn't happen. They didn't, they didn't see. They didn't get that message. But all of this important stuff is happening in this moment, this, this you know very momentous occasion of receiving the law, and yet the people, all that they were thinking about is we're scared. Um, we don't want God to talk to us. We're scared of God. We don't understand God. We don't want to see God. Let God be over there and we'll stay over here. Moses, you can tell us, because we trust Moses. Moses, you can tell us what God is saying, but don't let God speak to us directly. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So God uses what we would call positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement, right? He, he God, God entices us when he tells us, like, here are all the rewards that are waiting for you in heaven. Here are all the good things that will happen to you when you follow my commandments. But at the same time, he uses the negative reinforcement and says, be careful, be, be, be weary. If you sin, okay, that there is a consequence, right? You know, the, in, the, in the scripture it says what? Do not be afraid of man who can kill the body and can do no more, but fear God who after killing the body can throw the soul into hell. Okay? The, 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 the fear of God is not designed to make us frightened and paralyzed and afraid and unable to function and have neurosis. That's not the purpose. That's not what the fear of God is about. The fear of God is to remember who is it that we are worshipping? Why is it that we come to this place to talk about God, to worship God? Because he is a real person, and this is his characteristics, and this is who he is. And he is power. He is the Pantocrator. He is the creator. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who saves us, but he's also the one who expects us to live rightly, to live live righteously, to be holy. Okay. So he's saying what? God is showing you and manifesting himself to you this way so that you may not sin. That is the purpose. It's not to make you afraid. It's so that you would not sin. You know, when we, when we see the reality of the spiritual life, when we see it with our eyes, when we, when, we, when we see it before us, it makes it real. Like, you know, a lot of people um, maybe had this experience when they read that book that we talked about in the Harvest Meeting, The Orthodox Afterlife. When you read that book it kind of makes these concepts of heaven and hell and these things kind of be like visible like you can kind of imagine them you can kind of experience them a little bit right even though we don't fully understand them but we can kind of you know meditate on them and think about them and all of a sudden maybe heaven that otherwise seemed like it was so 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 far away and in some place that we don't understand we started to get some characteristics some feelings of it of many of the experiences that the people had and it started to become more real to us right and when it becomes real to us then it enters into our mind in the way that we think in the way that we act in the decisions that we make that maybe if i am attracted to sin this thought will come into my mind in that moment of temptation and i will remember god on the mountain and I will remember the thunder and the lightning, and I will remember w- what God had said, and I will be afraid to sin, right? So, so even though, um, even though we speak a lot about the reward that God gives those who are righteous, but there is also this um, seriousness, this fear. No, I need to be careful. You know, I shouldn't. I shouldn't take this um, lightly. This is serious. You know, Saint Paul says in the book of Hebrews. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling again this is not a this is not a, a recipe for paralysis and 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 just being being frightened in terror but this is about what it's about being serious about my spiritual life and the decisions i make and how i choose to live my life so the people stood afar off but moses drew near the thick darkness where god was then the lord said to moses thus you shall say to the children of israel You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. He's saying, I am a spirit. God is spirit, God is not material, right? He says, I am a spirit. I am from heaven. You cannot estimate me. You cannot, you know, uh, estimate me as something from the earth. You cannot make make something that is of the earth and substitute it for me or, or worship it as though it is me, right? And he's making that very clear. He's saying, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Why? Because all of the other, you know, supposed deities of all of the other nations, their gods were like statues, okay? And, and so they are made of the earth. They never talked from heaven. You know, none of the other nations had this experience where their idols their statues made of wood and stone started speaking to them right they never heard any voice from heaven speaking to them they never saw these miraculous things happening okay because those were not real gods so so in the mind of the people who have been around pagans their whole life remember these people were living in Egypt a pagan society for 400 years and what they saw around them was paganism and they saw all the gods of Egypt right God is bringing them out and he's, try- he's like introducing himself to them in a very powerful way so they understand his character, his nature, who he is. What does it mean for him to be spirit and that he is speaking from heaven and that he does not want them to make of him any kind of image, which was the second commandment. Okay, You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. There is no other god. I am the only God, and I speak from heaven. Do not make me into an idol of gold or silver. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. So he's speaking now about making an altar, making an altar of the earth, right? From the earth, from the ground, okay? And it is on this altar that you will sacrifice. You You will offer sacrifices of animals, okay? And everywhere that you do this, okay, I will come to you and I will bless you. Everywhere that you offer sacrifice to me on altar... I will bless you. And the altar should be made um, of stone, but not hewn, meaning not worked stone. If you make it, just get a stone and and use it as an altar, not a stone that is like um, hewn or cut. Nor shall you go up uh, by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Okay? So um, he's saying, and the explanation I found for this was that... um, when you make the altar, okay, make the altar on the level ground yeah yeah uh, the altar from, uh, stone like the stone can't be carved or anything mm-hmm. um but th- like in other i think like in the in the tabernacle there's like other things that were hewn, like like i I think like a part of the structure of like some of the altars inside and um and the two share the beam, like they were hewned, all of them. So what is the difference? Like why would that be? Like I understand the principle here, but I don't get like like why is it two different things? I don't have a great answer for you. Um, but I, I wh- what I'm thinking is that um, the 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 rules for how to make everything, of course, we know later on God is going to be very specific about how to make the tabernacle. And then later on in the time of King Solomon, very specific about how to make the temple. And so here he's not speaking about that he's he's not speaking about the tabernacle okay because here he's saying you can have altars anywhere right so a person wanted to set up an altar of earth anywhere you set it up for like individual like worship right remember we're here at the point where there hasn't yet been like established formal worship rituals yet right we're at a point where you have these people that are wandering in the wilderness, and if somebody wanted to set up an altar to offer sacrifice, this is what they would do. But this is not the same rules that are going to be given when it's time to build the tabernacle or the temple. Okay. Um, so, so here he's saying when you make the altar, okay, make it on the ground. Don't make it so that there are steps that you have to walk up to get to the altar okay? And, and he's saying what? That your nakedness may not be exposed. The explanation I found for this is, you know, the kind of clothing that people would wear at the time was not, like, w- very well-fitting clothing. So, you know, they would, if you walk up steps, then, you know, potentially someone can see, like, someone's naked body from underneath or something. So, you would just do it on flat ground. This is, this is, this is the explanation I could find. Um, I'm not sure if that is the only explanation or there's some kind of a spiritual reasoning behind it um, but uh, but that is that is explanation I found any questions about this so far yes In regards to the last commandment how do we uh, is it possible to be content and to be ambitious should we be ambitious yes it's possible to be content and ambitious but we have to m- we have to understand what does it mean to be ambitious it's okay to want to increase and to grow and to advance, right? but you can do that while at the same time, number one, attributing that if God allows me to do so, it is from his grace that he's allowing it. And if it doesn't happen or while I'm waiting for it to happen, I can be content where, where, where I am. So the, 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 the most important thing is that at all times I am to be content, even while I am wanting to increase right there's nothing wrong with wanting a promotion there's nothing wrong like that's why we go get second degrees we change jobs we you know we're thinking of ways to advance to grow right um but but while we are doing those things we should be content with where we are okay so that so that we're not grumbling against god we're not upset with our situation but we're always thankful to god with our situation have something more than other people that other people have correct you shouldn't have the desire to have something more than another person's have just for the sake of having more than another person like for instance like i can say okay i wish i can uh you know get a bigger house okay that's not bad and i can try to work toward saving money to get a bigger house while at the same time being content with where I am. But it wouldn't be right to say, I want to get a bigger house than my friend, right? My goal is, I wanna have a bigger house than this person. That wouldn't be the right kind of attitude, right? Because then it's like a competition. You know, it's not about competition. It's, yes, I uh, there's something good that I want, I work for it, and if God allows it, that's fine, okay? Um, okay, in chapter 21, So now that the law has been given, the main law, the Ten Commandments, the famous law that that we all um, know, now God starts to give other laws. And these laws are kind of derivative from the main principles. And he gives us more insight into the way that God sees things. God is essentially setting up now a government. This is essentially what he's doing. right? He's setting a system of laws that this nation, because this is now a nation, they're forming a nation now. They were, they were a, a, a whole race of slaves and they came out of Egypt and now <coughs> they, the, the first thing was for them to understand their identity in God, that this is their God. He's the one who made them. He calls them to a certain kind of life, to a certain kind of behavior, to certain kinds of thoughts, and he is wants to be worshipped a certain way and he reveals himself to the people, right? And now like with God at the center, he begins to establish a government system for them to be able to govern because there they are millions of people, all right? So, so they have to have some system of laws by which to live, okay? Um, and so for this reason, um, you know, this is why God is doing this. So God is not only for them like a God. He is also a king. He's also a judge. He's also a physician. He's also an engineer. He's also like congressman. He's, he's like, he's like, an e- he makes, he does, e- he's everything to them because they are completely dependent on him. Nothing that they have like apart from God at this point. So the next three chapters, 21 through 23, they're kind of like this practical application of the Ten Commandments. Um, most of the laws um, that God is going to make here were very specific to the Jews and to the specific circumstances that they are in, okay. So it doesn't mean that every law that God is going to give now is universally applicable to all people, including to us, because we don't, we're not governed by the specifics, um, a lot of the specifics of the laws here, okay. So they're not to be taken as like universal laws. Like the Ten Commandments are universal laws. The Ten Commandments tell us how people should live at, at all times, okay? What is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing. These laws here are like an implementation of the Ten Commandments as applied to the government system that the Jewish people are going to have at this time, okay? Um, some of the things that we can learn from the laws that God is going to give. One— We can we learn that God cares about even the most insignificant details. That maybe to us looks like insignificant. God cares about it. He's aware of it. He knows it. It's like when when he says what that even the hairs of our head are numbered, God knows the number of the hairs of our head. God knows the dimensions of everything. God knows exactly how he wants the people to interact with each other. Okay? Also another characteristic we learn about God is that God cares about the the powerless. Many of the laws have to do with those people who can't defend themselves, those people who are strangers, those people who are widows, those people who are, how uh, in some way like disabled, those people who are like um, disadvantaged. God specifically seeks them. God specifically makes laws to protect them. Okay, because it shows us that God cares about the powerless. Um, God also desires fair treatment between His people, because this is one of His characteristics that He is a fair judge. So he wants the people to treat each other with fairness. Um, so the first part of this chapter is going to speak about um, laws regarding Hebrew slaves. Okay, so there was slavery, and there is um, there is uh, laws that are concerning Hebrew slaves specifically, distinguished from uh, the Gentile slaves. Okay, um, in the pagan system of slavery. Slaves were not given any human rights at all. There was no human rights at all given uh, in, in pagan systems of slavery, okay? The, the master of the slave, he could torture, kill, abuse without any consequence. There was no consequence at all for anyone to do anything to a slave at the time. This is the systems that were in operation at the time, in existence at the time. When God came to establish this system, okay, he did not completely abolish slavery, okay, because at the time, that might have been something difficult for people that were used to that system to completely abolish it all at once. It's something that happened eventually. But what he did is he set rules um, for the mistreatment of the slaves. So he said, if you mistreat the slave, then there are certain consequences. So it is like a, like a more humane uh, version of a slavery system, even though the slavery system was not completely abolished in this law. So God gave the slaves some rights and protections. Um, So it's important for us to kind of see, uh, some people say, well, look, God is promoting slavery. God is not promoting slavery. God is working with the weakness of the people. This is why, for instance, Moses permitted divorce. Right? And then when the people in the New Testament, they asked why is it that Moses allowed the the men to give their wives a certificate of divorce and send them away and the the response was um, Moses knew that the people were weak and they couldn't live with the, the 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 pure form of marriage which was you know one man and one woman for life so he allowed them because of their weakness to divorce but that was not the perfection of the law right just that slavery is not the perfection Slavery is not the system that God wants at all because he cares about equal treatment of people, that everyone has equal value. But he did not, in this step, completely um, invalidate that system. But like I said, it's something that happened over time. Okay? Was there a question here? No? Okay. Um so what were some of the laws considering, uh, concerning the Hebrew slaves? So first of all, how is it that a, that a Hebrew person could actually become a slave Okay, in this system? So one way is out of poverty. So if a person is in debt and cannot pay his debts or cannot provide for himself, a person could actually sell himself into slavery or sell his children into slavery in order for them to be able to live. Another way a person could become a slave, a Hebrew person, is if he has committed theft and he cannot repay, then he would be sold into slavery. Or a person could be born into slavery if they were born from a father who was a slave. We read this in Leviticus chapter 25. It says, and if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you, and he shall serve you until the year of Jubilee, and then he shall depart from you. He and his children with him, and he shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Okay, so so there was... Um, the the people who were were the Hebrew people, God showed them or God gave them honor, right? And he has this system of the year of Jubilee. So the the Jubilee is, is, so like if you can think, a Sabbath of years, like a Sabbath is seven, right? So a Sabbath of years is seven years. A Sabbath of Sabbaths is seven times seven, which is 49. So the year of Jubilee was like the 50th year At the 50th year, every single slave would be set free. Okay? That was one of the the rules. And actually, many other things would happen on the year of Jubilee. Like people who had sold their land would get the land back. Like like so many things would get reset, essentially, um, on the year of Jubilee. A Hebrew slave would be set free on the seventh year of his servitude, which is the Sabbath year of the rest of his servitude. And uh, at this time, the slave could choose to either leave or remain. So... After seven years of slavery, a person could decide if they love their master and they enjoy being with them and they're being well-treated and he's taking care of them, they could actually choose to remain, okay? Or they could leave if they so choose, okay? But like I said, in the year of Jubilee, every slave would be liberated. Um, Also, the slaves that were liberated, they would not go out empty-handed, but they would take with them uh, crops, flocks, Um, the threshing ground and the wine press, like things that would like support them to be able to go and live on their own. Um, Also, there are laws about uh, slaves marrying the daughter of the master. The master may marry um, his maiden slave or give her in marriage to his son. Um, There's laws concerning that. Um, And eventually, like I said, after the return from the Babylonian captivity, uh, which happened much later, the custom of taking Hebrew slaves was completely abolished altogether, okay? So those are some of the laws concerning the Hebrew slaves. There are also laws concerning the Gentile slaves, okay? Almost always, how is it that a Gentile would become a slave? They would become a slave because of being a prisoner of war. So in in the the wars that would happen between the Israelites and the Gentile nations around them, if they would, you know, capture prisoners some of them could become slaves. That's typically how it would happen. Um, But a person who kidnaps a slave would be put to death. So again, like the slaves had some rights. Um, The punishment for killing a slave was the same as of killing anyone else. Uh, If a person destroys the eye of a slave, that slave would be set free. Also, Gentile slaves were actually free to worship their own gods. So they were not compelled to worship God, they were given freedom so that they could practice their own religion. Um, and also the slaves, they were free to participate in the Hebrew feasts. If they chose to, they, they could do so. In the early church, um, in the Roman Empire, which, you know, Israel was a province of the Roman Empire. So in the time of Christ, um, all of Israel was part of the Roman Empire the entire population of the Roman Empire was about 50% slaves. It's a very big number, 50%, okay? Um, and so uh, that's one, one reason why, like, when the Bible speaks about um, the relationship between masters and slaves, they're always speaking about to the slaves, in order to have peace is to always, you know, be obedient to their masters. But if they have the opportunity to to be free, they should take it. It says in Colossians chapter 3, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid what he has done, and there is no partiality. So the, the... the emphasis was on that what God is the one who will avenge. So if, if a person is being mistreated, he's saying even to this person to be submissive, but God will avenge, right? He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And then we will what? The, the person who is a slave will receive the reward, for you serve the Lord Christ. Okay? Also, the church had commanded at the very beginning, that um, in the book of Galatians, St. Paul was speaking about the, the, the slavery. He says what? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's saying there are no classes. Everyone is equal. Everyone is in equal value because they are made in the image of God uh, a- as opposed to like the class system that existed um, in the society. Yes. Going back to when you said that slaves weren't forced to worship God. Um, But wasn't Abraham required to circumcise all the males under his dominion? Like his, like including servants and slaves? Yes, that's true. Um, But uh, in Exodus, let me read for you. Oh no, sorry. That's a different reference. Um, I think I think the the circumcision, yes, but that doesn't mean that they were forced to participate in all of the like the the feast and the worshiping and offering of sacrifices and all of that. So they didn't have to follow all of that. Um, but but yes, I, you're you're right. They would be circumcised. And this time, yes, I believe because because this is this, this is the same. I mean, this isn't much after the. The crossing of the red sea at this point and and yes and even um right before moses arrived in egypt you know um, god ensured that even his own son was circumcised so yes i believe so Mm. okay all right so we'll continue reading so it says now these are the judgments we which you so set before them if you buy a hebrew servant He shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. So there's a lot of rules, okay, a lot for all of these different scenarios and situations. Like I said, it's like God is creating the law book for the people. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So what is, what is this? So remember I said that when it was time for the servant to be set free, he had the choice. Does he want to remain with his master because his master is good to him? Or does he want to be set free? If the the, the servant chooses to remain with the master, then there is this ritual that is done to kind of uh, symbolize that the servant is remaining a servant of his own free will and, and doing it out of love and staying with the master. Okay? In obedience to the master. And they would get his they would get a d- like a door, like a wooden door, okay, and an awl. You know, awl is like a sharp piece of metal, okay, like a spike, and they would th- thrust the awl into his ear, into the door. Does that sound like anything? Inhumane. What does it sound like? Okay. Something else. Huh? Oh, branding? The thing with branding is like you make like a unique symbol, right? But this is, it wouldn't really. Who else was pierced into the wood? Christ, right? This is actually a symbol of the crucifixion. Why? Because the Lord, he chose to do what he did. He chose out of his own love to be obedient to the Father and allowed himself to be crucified and for the forgiveness of the sins of everyone, okay? So it was not by compulsion. He was not forced to do so. Just like here, this servant out of his own free will, because of his love for his master, right, he chooses to remain with him to do his will. So also the Lord to do the will of the Father out of his own free will. And so this was like a sign, right? So the similarity here, just as the servant is being kind of pierced with this into a door, into wood, okay? So also the Lord was crucified um, with nails into wood. Yes? There's more of uh, the servant not necessarily loving his master, but kind of being, you know, because it says that his, his wife and his children remain with the master. So for him to uh, to be able to remain with his family, he needs to remain a servant. I mean, here it says, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. So, yes, I mean, definitely, like, having, like, the, the idea of the family staying with him is definitely important. But, but it, is, it is something that is not compulsory, right? He's not being coerced to do this. He can choose to do this. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money so this is like the laws regarding the female slaves now this is laws regarding uh, violence he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death however if he does not lie in wait but God delivered him into his hand then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee so what, I- what is that saying if it's not premeditated, if it's not premeditated. So if someone premeditates murder, the punishment is death. But if what? If he does not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, which is a way of saying like it's something that happened unexpectedly, okay? Then I will appoint you a place where he may flee. And what are those places going to be called, you know, later on? Cities of refuge. God would actually create cities, which are called cities of refuge. They were cities where if someone had committed some kind of accidental uh, murder or killing, accidental killing of someone, they could flee to these cities, and the person who is like, um, you know, like the family of the person who was killed or whatever, they could not chase after them to put them to death there, okay? And they would remain there actually in these cities until what? Until the high priest would die. What does that signify? So like someone, one of these people who had run to these cities of refuge, they would stay there the rest of their life because if they left the city, they could be killed by the person who, the relative, let's say, of the person who, who died, okay? So they would live there, it would be their new home. They would live there on that city until the day where the high priest, that was the high priest at the time, he would die. Then they could be free to leave the city without harm. So the, the high priest n- is Christ. The high priest represents Christ. Okay? So when the high priest dies, it's like what? The forgiveness. So everyone who has been hiding in these cities of refuge has like received forgiveness and no longer subject to the punishment that is to come upon them. Okay? The, the discussion about the cities of refuge happened much later. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar he may die so there is distinction in consequences based on intent premeditated murder is punishable by death manslaughter or unintended death is not punishable by death but someone may flee um, to escape from it okay and saint augustine he spoke about five degrees of love and anger like five degrees of 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 like in terms like this like a spectrum of of holiness when it comes to anger and, and dealing with others, okay? So what are these five degrees? The first level, he says, is the tendency of man to attack his fellow man with no reason, as it happens among primitive tribes. So this is like the most base, carnal level of anger and hatred and aggression, is a person who just desires to hurt other people for absolutely no reason, okay? That's like the absolute lowest. The second is a man does not initiate attack but would pay back with double force if attacked. So if somebody attacks me, I take revenge, but not uh, but, but not of something that is comparable. I actually, I, I do something much more extreme to, th- to them than what they did to me. Like somebody cuts me off in traffic, I shoot them with a gun, okay? The third level, if attacked, Man pays back with no more than equal force, namely eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The Mosaic law managed to lift up man to the stage, a great achievement at that time, but it did not commit man to pay back an eye for an eye, but forbade him of paying back two eyes for a single one. So when you read in the Old Testament about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and then we look at it and we're like, okay, like it sounds like it's very different than what we read in the New Testament. Right, almost like it's a it's a license for revenge in the Old Testament, but not for the New Testament. You have to understand, just like we said about the system of slavery, God is taking people who are at a level way down here, and He's lifting them up, but He's not lifting them up all the way to the top all the way at, all at once. He's lifting them up gradually. So He's saying here, the the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is actually better than what the people were doing before, which was, you know unprovoked killing of others right so so you are you are saying now okay you 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 have the you have the right to harm someone who harmed you this is a step up from what you were before and we know of course in the new testament the lord continues to raise the people up to something where we don't even do that anymore okay so that's why like when you when you when you hear these laws or these things that maybe sound troubling or strange or very different than what the Lord preached. It's not because there's a contradiction. It's because there's a process. Okay, the process is we take people and we begin to build them to lift them up until we get to where we are. Just like the Lord in the New Testament said, uh, um, you know, um, uh, murder is not just the physical act of murder, but it's also feeling hatred, right? It is the spiritual realization. It is the higher standard that the people are working their way up to from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So this third level um, in St. Augustine's levels of anger, this is kind of the level that we're at in the Old Testament, okay? The fourth level is paying back the harm with one of less intensity for the sake of mere chastisement. So like if your children do something somebody does does something that someone does something wrong you don't do eye for an eye you respond but that response is not of the to the same intensity as what they did as just a way for them to be aware that there's something that they did wrong and the last one the fifth level is paying back the harm with love the evil with good and treating the one who's who started it as a sick man the lord christ elevated us to act in this manner in his servant on the mount to say what, that I am not going to respond in, in any way. I am going to um, wait for the Lord to respond, and I'm going to pay back whatever harm people give me with love. Okay, so this is like the ultimate level um, that the Lord has called us to be. Everything clear so far? Okay. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. We mentioned this when we were speaking about the fifth commandment, about how serious it is the command to honor your father and mother, and to not do so, the commandment would be death. If men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone, or with his fist, and he does not die, but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who strikes him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So if a person that I harmed um, is able to recover completely, then I will, I will help them only by compensating them for what they have lost for the time where they were unable to work. Okay? And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished notwithstanding if he remains alive a day or two he shall not be punished for he is his property so again if a person dies then there is the punishment but if the person doesn't die there is not punishment if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely yet no harm follows he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So one thing you see here is the care for the unborn, okay, and that also the punishment should be consistent with the crime. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. So if the ox hurts someone, they will be put to death. But if the owner knew that the ox tended to do this and that this was something that was a risk and the owner did nothing to protect against it or kept it confined, then the ox will be put to death and the owner of the ox as well for negligence. So this is the consequences of negligence. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him. So if the person who is like the, the victims are, uh, uh, would rather that he pay a sum of money instead of being put to death, then he can do so. Whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. So again, if a man is negligent and he digs a hole, okay, and he, he does not protect against any any animal or any person falling in, and there is an ox or a donkey that falls into it, okay, um, and the animal dies, then the man shall compensate for for this because it is his fault again it's about negligence if one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it and the dead ox shall also shall they shall also divide or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in times past and its owner has not kept it confined he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own so trying to have fairness and, and and these kinds of flaws Okay, this is a good stopping point for today. Um, does anyone have any questions? Yes. Yeah, they were written here. I mean, this is this is the the the. the so Moses wrote all of these laws. I mean, Moses is the one who wrote um, the the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament. So all of this was written. Yeah. Any other? Okay. Glory be to God forever, amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. And we thank you, O God, for allowing us to open up the scripture and to read it, and to understand it, and to see, O God, how you worked in times past and all throughout history for the sake of our salvation. We thank you, O Lord, for every way that you show your care and kindness upon us and that you give us, O Lord, what we need when we do not know what we, what we need or cannot obtain it ourselves. We thank you, O Lord, because you walk us through, O Lord, even when we are ignorant, even when we are stubborn, even when we are wicked, and you have patience with us and you direct us, O God, in the right path. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and help us to understand your law and the spiritual implications and understanding of it so that we can apply it, O Lord, in our day-to-day lives today and benefit from it. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.